0: Acts one, one through eleven, staring or sharing, and uh, you might think, what does that mean? Staring or sharing, and here in Acts, there are when something occurs, and in the medical field, they talk about it, the flight or, the fight or flight syndrome. When you are faced with a a set of circumstances or an environment where all of a sudden you get scared. And there's a vagal nerve response. If you've ever heard about the vagal nerve, sometimes it's one of those, if something were to happen, like uh, we don't believe in zombies, but if you got overwhelmed, all of a sudden zombies came at you, you'd be like, ah, you get scared. Your response is either to fight all right, or flight. But some of you might just pass out because of the vagal nerve. And what that happens is you just go say, ah, you just pass out. The vagal nerve response. So here is staring or sharing. And what happened is, As we read, you'll kind of see what what the disciples' response was. When they were left with uh, the commandments of Christ, it's where they, do you stare or share? So do you stand there with mouth agape or wide open, or do you act? And uh, we'll look at this from the book of Acts chapter uh, 1, verse uh, 1 through 11. I'll be reading out of the New King James and the, uh, uh, the Holman Christian. And it says, The former count I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And just uh, from Acts 1 Verse 11 says, I write to you the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to many by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is What you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up As they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the promise that has been given in your scripture that that same Jesus Christ who the disciples saw ascend into heaven will return someday. And Father, until that time, I just pray that you might continue to direct our lives to help us be reminded of how we need to live for you and how your word applies to us. And Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who both directs our thoughts but also encourages us, convicts, illuminates, shows us what your word says and help us to to live out these truths in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So as we think about staring or sharing, and I thought this was applicable because as we're coming up to the end of the month and even an open house, it is important for us to be reminded of those, our responsibility, but also how we can interact and share with others. And the book of Luke is a continuation of a first-person account about Jesus Christ. And then we get to the... Um, Acts of the Apostles, that was written by Luke. He writes about the ascension of Christ, the fact that he went up into heaven, and we, he will also return in the same manner that he left. And he left us with a commission to be his witnesses. And so as you think about staring or sharing, there's some who simply, as we see an accident or simp- something that occurs, if uh, you know, someone fell down and needed CPR, there, there are those who are just there and wonder what was going on or what we should do there's those who have been trained as a first responder to maybe react, to go get help. If you've ever taken CPR, you know, you have to tell someone directly, you don't just say, someone go get CPR, because everyone else will stand there and think, you know, he's going to go or he's going to go. You have to point and literally say, you, go get um, an AED or go call 911. And that kind of is directive and that person will go. But if you just say someone go, gets, go get help, We'll all be like, well, someone else probably will get help. Or, you know, they'll all be confused. Or everyone goes. Probably not. But uh, what occurs? But understanding is that here they were faced with the ascension of Christ. And there's some who are staring and some who, hey, we need to share. And what is the responsibility? But as we look at this passage, the first thing we see is that our commission has an authority. Our commission has an authority. As you look at verses 1 through 4, in Acts 1 through 4, it says here, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, and it says infallible, these proofs. And then even in verse 7 it says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own authority. Or the authority. And we see here that there is an authority given. Directly. And we understand authority. Even in the example of CPR. While we may not recognize it. If someone says, hey, go, get, go call 911. We're not going to say, well, what authority do you have to call 911? What big deal? Why would you tell me what to do? You know, we're going to understand that it's important because he's just given a directive, and we need to do that. But here, we also must understand that God has even the authority to commission. If a police officer said for you to go get 911 or call 911, you would do that not only because you know it's the right thing to do, but also because a, a person in authority has given you that charge. And here, the first thing we see is that Luke had a commitment and that commitment was based upon authority, but we even see in Theophilus. Theophilus, we don't know much about Theophilus. He simply, his name means a friend of God. And so he, we can speculate that he probably was a financial backer of Luke. We know Luke was a medical doctor and probably provided so that he could travel, but we don't, don't know that much. But we know that he provided resources for Luke, and Luke was able to write the book of Luke, And Acts. And as we see here, nothing definite is known, but he was commissioned to write about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And the perspective of Luke is is detailed. It's different from the others because Luke was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. So for us, as we read the narrative of the book of Luke and Acts, it is beneficial because it gives details. When a doctor gives you a directive and tells you medically, it's nice because sometimes you want, they will, they will speak in medical jargon. But ultimately you just simply want, hey, what are, what specifically am I supposed to do? What are the words here that I'm, I'm to carry out? Because they have authority, they have studied, they know a little bit about your medical condition. And while I've seen some different ones, you know, as far as some medical doctors, you know, says I did not get my medical degree at Google because sometimes we say oh, the authority what all these people on the internet say is true it must be true because I read it on the internet so validity but what is truth and so that is the hard part is that that sometimes the authority of a medical doctor or practice we go we can ask here individually but it's important as we how we ascertain their authority and here Luke had the commitment To write in such a way, both because Theophilus was backing him, but also these were the words of Christ. And his direct authority came from the Holy Spirit. His words were God's words when he wrote them. They did not become God's word at a later time. And so he had a commitment as he writes, even to Theophilus, but also God gave him the words and he wrote the specific words as we know through scripture. So there was a commitment but also, we see not only Luke, the author, had a commitment to the scriptures, to the faithfulness of, of the scriptures, the truth, but the apostles had a command. And it says in verse 2, where it says, Until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, there were certain commands that he gave to the apostles. And even the understanding, they understood that they were stay at Jerusalem after the resur- before the resurrection of Christ they didn't understand what was taking place but he said stay there because at a future time the holy spirit will come and give direction and you will have instruction they were given the mandate to stay in Jerusalem and they were also commanded as we see to follow that out and hold your, hold your page and go over to Luke 24 Luke 24 verse 44 through 49 and it says, Then he op- then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And literally it was all the Old Testament. And as he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures, then he said to them, Thus this is written, And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. You see the direct commandment given to stay here, wait, what will take place. And then he's also given... The commands, as we see back in Acts, that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost come upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And we see the apostles, their lives, before and after the resurrection of Christ. Before, they were simply men. They were men who followed after Christ. But then all of them, except for John, died a martyr's death. If you think about dying a martyr's death, We can read about those who have died for a cause. You know, seeing that that's an important cause. But as you think about what would be a cause great enough to die for. You know, there's some important causes. But are they worth dying for? But here, the cause of Christ. Understanding a person. The relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is where, impress upon each one of us. Because when it comes to death, there's a fearful aspect. You know, you do you cease to exist? Is there something afterwards? We believe there is a consequence. But think about those who have ever had a near-death experience. You understand a little bit about the fearfulness of... If you've ever been in a situation, oftentimes with your health, or maybe you've choked on food, or there's been a time where, you know what, wow, Am I going to die? There's an uncertainty. And things run through your mind. You know, it's not just, oh, the light in the tunnel. It's more about, you know, your life. What are you leaving? The legacy. Will people even care? And when we're younger, we don't think about life and death too much. We don't think about death. But understanding about the purpose in your life. But the relationship of Jesus Christ... How important, how valuable is that in your life? Is your life marked with that? And the relationship with Jesus Christ as a a priority because he truly values and he's given his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. But also, if your life is Christ and someday you're going to go and stand before God. And how will that be, that reunion? But here the apostles were commanded. And so they were they were given this command with their life to, you know what? I'm going to be charged up and live for Christ. Sometimes there's, uh, if you've ever been to a, uh, a sports game, you know, where they kind of try to bring up the crowd and try to live, liven up with cheerleaders and with a marching band and, you know, get um, hyped up. Maybe maybe it's a rivalry game with a football game, or maybe it's something to get you impassioned, bold, and get ready. Come on, cheer for your team. Imagine it. Maybe you've been that person. They're cheering for you and getting ready. Can you do this? And as our as our life, as they were presented with with this command to go out, they were commanded to go out and share Christ with others. His life, His death, His bar- His resurrection. Not the fact that Jesus is dead but that he rose again and that he's alive. And there's a purpose in that. And while, you know, every Sunday I'm not here just simply to encourage you, hey, go out and share the gospel. That is an important part because of the Holy Spirit. Because there's going to be opportunities where you get to share the gospel. And that is the most important priority that you have as a believer in Christ is to honor God, glorify God, but to also share the gospel. Because through that you have the opportunity to have someone change from death into life. Think about that as if you were, if you had the opportunity to be a superhero, which superhero would you choose? You know, would you be the Spider-Man who could swing and, and upside down, or would you be the bulletproof? Would you like the power of invisibility, or maybe you're one who would like to have? I always thought teleportation would teleporting would be cool. Maybe you'd need to go from here to there, or just be the Flash. Faster than the speed of light. I guess that would be enough as well. Or maybe even telekinetic. That would be kind of cool to be able to move things with your mind. But think about the fact of being a superhero in the sense for Christ and being able to save people's lives. From life into death. Because really, when you when a person comes to Christ or you have the opportunity to help a person come to the understanding that they are lost in their sin and to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation that is having a part of seeing them come to Christ is saving their life and while you're not you are a part of it it's the holy spirit that does that you know you have the opportunity to be encouraged by that and that is something exciting because when someone comes to Christ it doesn't even depend upon you You just have the privilege. You might be like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And when you are given that opportunity, the Holy Spirit, they are ready. No amount of of flowery words does it, but God wants us to be ready to be able to articulate, to simply explain what occurred in your life, that you confess your sins and then place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And while that may seem like simple, it's not the prayer, it's the act of faith. The transfer of trust. To know that Jesus Christ is worthy to receive that trust because of what he has done. And giving you the gift of eternal life. You're entering into a new relationship. And in some respects, it's a superhero act, if you think about it. And you get to witness that. And you didn't even have to flex a muscle. But the Holy Spirit working in and through your life, being able to do that, that command. But also a charge, as I've kind of got ahead of myself, as we see that we have a charge because Jesus is the Lord of our life. Because of the work of redemption, he has given us, commissioned us to do the work. And the sovereignty of God, the great commission has been given to us, if you'd advance that slide, through Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, helping them to know what it is. And nowadays, it's yeah, where is the starting point? Finding out. What do they believe about Jesus? And here, the actually, the apostles, see, at the time of Christ, when he ascended up into heaven, people had a background and understanding, but there were still very divergent beliefs. You know, they believed that God was in everything. There's some beliefs called animism, where you know, oh, it, is God this in this hymnal? Is God the hymnal? Is is God in the in the trees? What is God? And it was kind of they had a metaphysical understanding because God is a spirit. So does that mean that God is in everything? But God is separate from his creation. But how is God everywhere? And you get into the philosophical arguments of understanding who is God, what is God. And nowadays you have challenges because are there many gods? But can there be many gods and yet one God? We believe there is one God and but yet also the Trinity as we talked about last week a little bit. There are three in one. And God has given the charge to us, not to try to explain God, because even that would be, it would take forever, but to understand that Jesus Christ, who the person, that He is God, and that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, we have the gift of salvation, the deliverance from our sins. Because of our sins, we are guilty and deserve death and punishment. And after we die, that's what will happen. We'll be separated from God. But he's given us also help in this. So the authority, he's given us this command, but also he's, he's given us help and assistance. And now we, if you think about it, we each have an assistant. And it's, it could be Google. It could be Siri. You know, how many of you voice, I don't carry my phone up here, but hey, Siri, you know, do this, play a music. Or Siri, give me directions home. You know, it's nice having a personal assistant. Back before, it was like if you had your personal assistant, you know, someone that you could boss around and tell what to do, wouldn't that be fun? Hey, make me lunch. You know, that would be great. Hey, Siri, you know, make me this. Go get that. And we have DoorDash. We have some of these other apps that we can get food for us. But your own personal assistant, to be so wealthy that you have someone who can, whatever you want, they get it for you. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily work that way. But the Holy Spirit is, first of all, a person of the Trinity. And we see here in the text, verse 2 and 4, that he had given orders through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 4, it says that while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. And that promise is the Holy Spirit. If we go back to the book of John 16, and we'll look at that in just a little bit. But we can see throughout Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you want to look, just turn over to Acts 5. And there are different demonstrations of the Holy Spirit throughout new scrip- the Scripture. Of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we encounter when when Paul and the other apostles talk about the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and God the Father, the Trinity... It doesn't always give them in the direct order of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What that does is reinforce to us is the distinctive character of each, but also the fact that each is God. Because it doesn't list them in that order every time. Sometimes it says through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. It lists them in different order. So it, it mentions specifically their character. But in Acts 5, 1-4, through 4, here we have the story of Ananias and at the time of the early church they didn't know what to do and so they wanted to spread the gospel they wanted to work together and so they brought everything together and shared so they had all things together it almost is a form of communism, socialism that they tried to do well we know that that doesn't necessarily work and even, but they didn't know what they were doing was bringing all things together sharing but they gave their resources specifically to for the spreading of the gospel but in Acts chapter 5 verse 1 through 4 says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Here we see the mention of the Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the proceeds from the field. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Directly, it shows that the Holy Spirit is God. And you have not lied to men, but to God. And when he heard these words, he dropped dead. Now, that's a pretty direct sin is to lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to God. Now, the sin here wasn't that they kept back part of the portion. We know as you look through here, what takes place is that they lied about how much they gave. It was a sin of pride. They wanted to say, oh, you know, give an offering. And they sold the land, and if we were to put it into today's terms, suppose you sold some land and it sold for $50,000. Well, what they wanted to do is, is to get the, um, the visibility before other believers saying, hey, I sold this land for $50,000, but it says that they kept back a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so what they did is they kept back the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. And so... You know, it doesn't matter, he, it was theirs. They could have given as much as they want, it was a voluntary gift. But they they didn't. And what they did, they kept back a portion, and so they said they sold it for a different price. And here they kept back part of the proceeds. So they said, hey, we sold it for how much? 30000 And so they gave 30000 It doesn't matter, the point was not how much they sold it for, or even... Um, what they gave, but they lied in saying that we, we, we got more back for it or we, what we got back for it and what they kept because they wanted to present better before the other believers. And that's the danger in lying to the Holy Spirit. God wants honesty. God wants truthfulness. A gift is a gift, and he, he simply desires that you give to him Truth. And the danger is that oftentimes in our lives we keep back part. And here, as we see the Holy Spirit, the assistant, a person of the Trinity, this is, he was identified himself as God. And as we see the next one, the power, the work of the Holy Spirit. As we see the truthfulness, God knows our hearts. God knows our motives. And what often happens is in our actions, in our motives, we try to fool other people. Sometimes... Maybe it's our position. You know, I worked as a surgical technologist uh, working in the operating room, passing instruments. Well, I got to do a lot of fun things. It's not that great of a title, but uh, sometimes, you know, the danger is that, you know, you could say, oh, you know, while I was assisting in surgery, I could say, oh, well, I, w- I worked as a, as a surgeon. I worked at the hospital. Or I could put my position, or try to put that in better light than it is. It simply was I was helping out in surgery. I was the Assistant, and I was oftentimes just passing instruments, or or sometimes doing menial jobs as well. But we always want to sound better before other other people, or maybe, as you see in the world today, drive a nicer car. There's those who drive BMWs because of the standard. I knew someone who, whenever he went into a restaurant, he put down his his key fob up so that people would know what he drove. You know, to, to be honest, I don't care what you drive. You know, to be honest, I really don't. I'm glad that you have that. All I, can, I, I always hopeful that hopefully you can, you are wise, wise with your finances. But it doesn't matter, you could drive, I knew some of the surgeons who drove some of the Teslas with the gullwing doors. I've known very expensive vehicles. And you know, if you drive a Bugatti, all I ask is that you take me for a ride in it. It doesn't matter, truthfully to me, what you have. and. And it really doesn't matter to God because, you know, it could be gone that quickly. But be honest before God. Be honest and be good. Be a wise steward with your resources. You know, while we want to have that and and be aware of, of your resources but understand is the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You cannot lie to the Holy Spirit. God knows your motives. The Holy Spirit kind of, we know the conviction of sin. We know the the fact that the Holy Spirit leads and directs us in, to do different things. And here, the power, the work of the Holy Spirit, as we saw there even in Luke 24, 49, and John 16, 5 through 15, that he would get, bring things all to remembrance. He would convict the world of sin. The Holy Spirit is a powerful person. And the person of the Holy Spirit can bring you under conviction can cause you to do things. And sometimes we think, oh, no, it's not really true. And when it comes to the gospel, the Holy Spirit can bring people into your lives where He desires, hey, you should share with that person. Maybe give them a try, or just talk to them, or do something, or maybe help them. And that's where the fearfulness of ourselves, our own abilities and talents. But we must understand it doesn't depend upon you. You might be horrible in talking with others fearful you might be one um who you've never been in front of other people but God sometimes directs in your life to to minister or serve before other people maybe it means praying before others or playing an instrument or even singing before others like I've, I've said before you know oh you know God doesn't want you to sing before others God um you know last time I sang in church three people changed your religion it's a funny joke I like to say, but but understand that it's, and some there are some I'll be honest, there are some who shouldn't sing before others, because of that. But you must use your talents, and God uses that to bless others. But also, it's a blessing for others to be able to to hear your abilities and talents, because God uses normal people. Sometimes we think we have to have superhero properties. But with Christ, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in essence, you are a superhero. And so the power of of the Holy Spirit working in us. And as you think about these normal, ordinary disciples, some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. As you think about their roles and their occupations, they were just average, ordinary people. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they did great things for God. And I'm not saying that you're going to do great things for God. We remember them as such, but really they all died a martyr's death. You think, wait a second, I don't want to die a martyr's death. But if that's God who desires for you, you will be in the will of God. And to be available for his use. And that is the important part because what you do for God is great. If you allow him to work in and through your life, that is great. Sometimes we want what is visible. I want to be famous for God. You know, it would be interesting to be famous for God, right? Because then you would have a greater platform. But sometimes that brings other issues. What specifically God desires is that you interact and are a witness, an example to people around you. Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's your friends. Sometimes it's your coworkers. But you're going to be presented with circumstances where you might have to Stand up or uh, be a little more bold for Christ or say no. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do that. Because the Holy Spirit has given us a purpose. And in verse 8, if you look at Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Witnesses. You know that specific word, the witness. It's not simply, as we think about a witness, we just simply think of someone who's seen something else. The Synoptic Gospels. Sometimes think, why do we need three books that kind of explain the same thing? But if you understand the Synoptic Gospels, what it is, it's three different perspectives. If I stand right here, I can't see that table in front. My perspective is clouded. But right now, you can't see what's in the pulpit. Thankfully, it's kind of a little messy, but you can't see it because your perspective. But here, the Synoptic Gospels it gives in the life of Christ it gives three different perspectives, and even if you think about the details, some of you are very detail oriented. You would give details of a scenario that you've seen. If you were presented with a crime or something, the details that occurred, some of you might remember what color hair. If the person wore earrings, if you were a male, you'd be like. I think it was a male or a female, right? You know, sometimes the difference is between men and women, the details. But we would know what car they were driving. We would know what make it was. There are certain details and emphasis that we, that we are able to have. And the witness, the purpose, and understanding there are people that God places in your lives that within your sphere of influence that you will have the greatest opportunity to reach for Christ or to talk about because of your connections. And that is important because a witness gives an account of what they have seen or heard or experienced. Truthfulness. The evidence that you can provide. And through your life experiences that God has brought you through. We believe that God is in control and has a plan. And he's given you the capability and the opportunity to interact with people for Christ. Sometimes it might mean to share. Sometimes there are people who are going to convict us of how we're living, to remind us. Oh, you know what? I shouldn't be doing something. And let me just go through because I'm sorry. Just to the our commission has an accountant. If you think about an accountant, an accountant keeps a record. Not only is our commission have an authority and assistant, but also our commission has an accountant. Verse 10 and 11, and it says. These two individuals, these two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken away from you in heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going. An accountant, Christ will return. So advance that slide as we see. It's going to say, first of all, Christ will return. So stop staring. The believer's life is not a daydream. You know, we appear sometimes in a dazed, disoriented, distracted, living in a manner that Christ will never come today. We're so consumed by our environment and our our circumstances. But the imminent return of Christ means that it could occur at any moment. No one knows the day and the hour. So the question is, what are you doing? God desires to use you. But also, secondly, we see that Christ will review our account Christ will review our accounts and any good account is concerned with details we are stewards and our records are we are stewards and our records are each day that we have to live so as we think about the opportunities as we think about our life we will have to give an account and that's a fearful thing I'll be honest because sometimes we waste a lot of our days sometimes you think oh i don't have enough time I work, I think about even the accountability of spending time with family. Sometimes, you know, I'm here till late at night and I was doing a class and I spend time away from family and we feel that guilt. You know, those who have worked away from home or the time you spend with family and even, you know, the little baby, you know, as you think about the investment of properties, there's going to be guilt. Kids know how to guilt their parents. And it's challenging because we feel guilty. But think about the role that we have. For that we have given, been given in salvation. What will he say at the time? You know, we fear, the IRS, we fear the IRS more than the Bema seat sometimes. And that's a dangerous thing. But one day we will be audited. And there will be a reckoning. And so the question is, what will he say? What will God say when we are, when we are presented? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, or well... What will happen? And then finally, Christ will reward Revelation twenty-two twelve. And I know Christians don't like to talk about rewards and crowns, but there is a reward, and we must understand that there is a reward for be not weary in well doing. That is going to be the theme coming up in November, and I encourage you to be there. But be not weary in well doing, because there is a reward for living for Christ, for sharing with others. And while we, you know, humility is an important aspect of the Christian life. There is a reward. And we all say we're going to throw our crowns back. But you you will get a reward. And it's not to say, hey, I'm not going to take it. Because it is only through the power of Christ that we can receive that reward. Your labor is not in vain. And that is the benefit. And understanding is what you do for Christ, how you live, is not in vain. And the question as we think about even 1 Corinthians 9... 16 through 17. What will you receive? 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 17 says, For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am trusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my authority in the gospel. And then it goes on. But understanding there is crowns, there is a reward in Christ. And let me just close with this il- illustration. There's a story of a young man who used to make it a few extra dollars as a bagpiper, who played mostly for funerals. One time he was asked by a funeral director to play at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends. So the service was to be at a cemetery in the back country of, of West Virginia. The young man was not familiar with the area and got lost, and being a typical man would not stop and ask for directions. But finally he arrived an hour late, and he saw the funeral guy had evidently gone, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. All he saw were the diggers and crew left, and they were eating their lunch. He felt bad and apologized to the men for being late. He went to the side of the grave, and he looked down into it. The vault lid was already in place, but not knowing what else to do, he started to play those bagpipes. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. He played his heart out for this man who had no family or friends. He played like he'd never played before for this homeless man's memory. As he played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. They wept, he wept, they all were weeping together. When he finished, he packed up his bagpipes and started for his car. Though his head hung low, his heart was full. Just as he was opening his door to his car, he heard one of the workers say, I've never seen anything like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. Here you have someone who was, thought he was doing what he was commissioned to do, playing the bagpipes to the best of his ability. Well, our commission is to tell others about Christ. While we must live among unbelievers and be a witness, we are not fulfilling our responsibilities if we are not taking opportunities to have spiritual conversations with unbelievers. My prayer is that you will not use your gifts, that you will use your gifts to make positive contacts for Christ rather than staying at home and playing your bagpipes for a septic system. We must fulfill the correct, fill the correct commission that God has given to each one of us. Shall we pray?